Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. And we are, we're taking the end of chapter 13 today, this morning, and, you know, this is maybe in terms of what's going on in our world right now and where the world is heading, this is perhaps maybe the most important set of verses we could study in this book in terms of the future that's ahead for us as Christians and really where the world is heading today. You know, how many of you feel like the world is totally spiraling out of control? Anybody? Yeah, okay, the feeling is mutual. When when you look around, right, the feeling, you, you, there's this quickening of the time. And when you think about, here we are, August the, the 29th of 2021, two years ago today, how many of you would have thought that? You know, not many, right? The world is pretty much status quo in terms of life in America. Yes, there were some problems around the world, but man, nothing like we're seeing today. The exponential quickening of the time is something I think even non-Christians recognize all over the world right now. And so before we start, I am going to say a quick prayer because I've been negligent and we should always pray before we open the word of God. And a lot of weeks I don't do that before we open up God's word, so we're just going to do that real fast and claim the blessing from this book upon us. So Lord, we just thank you for your word. God, we thank you that Jesus and John, you said, I am the truth. And Lord, right now in a world full of deceit and full of cloudiness and darkness and lies, we pray and we thank you that, God, we can stand on your truth. For in the beginning was the word, and so God, you were the word made into flesh, Jesus. And we just thank you that we get to stand on that truth. And Lord, we claim the blessing of studying the book of Revelation upon everybody that hears it, that's watching online, everybody in this room. And we just pray, Lord, that we would gird up and prepare for the days ahead, Father. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to go through this book and, and really through this chapter, I should say, and what I, what I really hope all of you get away from this message is, it is if you are holding something back in your life, if, you, if there is something you have not fully submitted to Jesus yet, the time is now. There, there is no more gray area for Christians in this world in which we live. You can't toe the line any longer. And that's really what I want you all to get out of this, is that the time to, to get your relationship serious with the Lord is now. Do not wait. Because I am telling you, the time is quickening more and more every day that we live here. So to start off, just as a reminder where we are, we're in this parenthetical break between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. So we had the first six seals, and then you had a break, which was chapter seven. The seventh seal opened up the seven trumpets. We had six trumpets, and then we're in this break. The break this time between the sixth and the seventh is a five-chapter interlude where the Lord chooses to show us something different that's going on in the world during this time. And these five chapters are really critical. So we're 
almost to the last one. Chapter 14 next week will be the last one, and then we get the seventh trumpet. But remember, all of this happens after the church is raptured in chapter 4, verse 1. We're in the throne room of the universe. Jesus, as the lamb who was slain, comes forward to take the scroll, and then we get to fall down and worship him as he does it. And as we, as we mentioned many months ago, it's maybe the most critical escrow closing in the universe is when the Lord takes back what he rightfully paid for on the cross, which is the right and the title deed to repurchase the earth on our behalf, not only purchasing us as a people, but as the New Testament says, the very creation itself groans to be redeemed. And that's what you see in chapters four and five in the throne room. So he goes through, he looses the seals, and it's a heptatic structure. It's always a structure of sevens through this whole book. So we had the sixth, and then the seventh opens up seven, then six, a pause, the seventh opens up the seven, and we'll get eventually to the seven bowls. So right now we're still in that interlude, and the, the five chapters we're going through, chapter 10 was the little book and the seven thunders, chapter 11 was the temple and the two witnesses, chapter 12 was that overview of the entire Bible, the woman, the man-child, which is Jesus, and the dragon, which is Satan, and the war between them. And then here we are in chapter 13, the two beasts and the mark. And so we took last week the beast out of the sea, who was the false world leader, the Antichrist, as a lot of the church has labeled him as. And today we're taking the second beast, the beast out of the earth, and what he does to cause the earth to worship the first beast. And then next week we'll take the lamb and the 144,000 who stand on the mountain when he returns, which will be just awesome. So as we go through this chapter, what our challenge is to set aside every presupposition you think you know about Revelation 13. And everybody, again, I mentioned this last week, but everybody that's not even a Christian knows something about the mark of the beast, right? They all have an opinion on what is the mark of the beast, what is the 666, what is going on in this time in the world, and you know, back in the 90s, it was, well, barcodes started to get big. And so it was, well, it's the barcode. And then we all carried around debit cards. And it was, well, now it's a debit card. You know, and the, and the church and Christians have had this kind of reaction to things that come on the world for decades in terms of, well, it's got to be this. And you see that today also, right, with everything that's going on. Well, it's got to be that. Well, it's not that. And we'll talk about why. But our challenge is to set aside any preconceived notion you think you have, and let's just look at the text, at the Word of God, with a fresh set of eyes. And to do that is our, our favorite verse from men's Bible study, Acts 17:11, And it says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the Word with all readiness of mind. And Ryan mentioned it a minute ago, but search the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. So there's your admonition to search the scriptures daily. But the challenge is that first part, is the readiness of mind. Can you have an open mind when you read the word of God to set aside everything you think you know about it and let the Holy Spirit lead you through it and show you something fresh in it? I cannot tell you how many times I will read the same passage over and over. And it happened to me this week as I was preparing for this message the Lord hit me like a ton of bricks with something new about chapter 13 that I had never noticed before. So I'm going to share that with you all today. But the challenge is, let the Holy Spirit lead you through it. As 
as we draw closer to the end, the revelation of prophecy is going to become more and more and more prevalent. I heard a pastor say this years ago, and I think he's so right. The generation that gets closest to the end is the generation that will understand all of these things the most, because you will finally see, oh, this is how the world is setting up for that. You know, back in the 90s when I was a kid, it was a lot of guessing. It was a lot of well, is the Antichrist going to force the mark on everybody and just and either you know die or or take it? Or and I think what we're seeing is this mindset of people are going to race to get this thing, and I'll explain why. But that's our challenge: set aside everything that we think we know about it. And again, chapters twelve and thirteen—they're almost like a succinct package. And so there were seven personages between these two chapters. Again. Seven is as completeness on behalf of what God does for man. And so we had the woman, the man-child, the red dragon, Michael, the remnant of Israel. Those were all from chapter 12. And then the last two is in chapter 13, the beast out of the sea and the beast out of the earth. And today we're covering that seventh one, the beast out of the earth, which is the false prophet. And so we'll look at that. So we left off on verse 10 last time. We'll pick it up in verse 11 here. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. So the second figure in this final world scene, he will complete the satanic trinity. So don't forget, everything that that Satan does is a counterfeit. You have the holy trinity, which is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have the satanic trinity, which is Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. So the same thing. He's trying to get the world to worship his trinity, not the holy trinity. So the Antichrist, the beast out of the sea, the false prophet, and Satan who empowers the other two. So you had last week we studied the Antichrist rising, talked a lot about how, who he's empowered by, and this week we're looking at the false prophet who will cause the world to worship that first beast. So We'll see that this beast will cause the world to worship. And remember, the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And we looked at last time, Zechariah eleven seventeen, woe to the idle shepherd. And that's the only place in the Old Testament that you get a physical description of the Antichrist because his right eye is, is darkened and his right arm is clean dried up. So he suffers some type of a wound in a battle and the false prophet causes the world to worship him when he comes back alive. And that's, that's a critical point in this seven-year period that something happens to this guy. Well, the guy we're studying today is the one that causes the world to worship him who's raised from the dead. It's, it's likely a false resurrection. But this beast, he has two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. So two horns like a lamb. He... He comes with all lying signs and wonders. We'll look at that in a minute. He's received by Israel. We know that from Matthew and John and a few other chapters. Jesus talks about that. But he speaks as a lamb. He he comes as a lamb, but he speaks as a dragon. In other words, with a lot of deceit. How does Satan speak? It's always deceptive. It's always, hath God said. You know, did he really say that? Remember, it starts with that all the way back to the Garden of Eden. That's how it starts. And then what, he, what did he do to Jesus in the temptation? It was always God's word says this, and Jesus' rebuttal was taking the whole counsel of God's word. 
And so part of that's why it's so important that if you are not in a daily Bible reading in the whole counsel of God's word, you are open to deception. You are open for the enemy to come into your life and say, did God really say that? And if you're not in this, you don't have a a rebuttal. You don't have a way to combat that with the sword of the spirit. That's why it's so important. If you are not in it, you've got to be in it. You get a piece of it here and you'll get some teaching at men's Bible study and things like that. That does not replace your time with the creator to sit down and to let him pour his word over you and wash it over you daily. So make sure you do that. Otherwise, you are open to deception. So the title of the false prophet, that's not just a made-up title. It's used three times in the book of Revelation. Revelation 16, 13, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So there's his title the first time it shows up. In Revelation 19, the beast was taken and with him the false prophet. So God is delineating between these two characters that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast. Okay, so there's, there's one key point. The mark, with the mark comes deception. Okay, so keep that in mind as we study this. With the mark is a deception. It is a lie of some kind, okay? And them that worshiped his image, these both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. So when Jesus comes back in my favorite chapter in the entire Bible, Revelation 19, when the king of kings on the white horse, the true rider on the white horse, comes back and we are with him as the church, he then casts the beast and the false prophet into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. So that's their destiny of the folks that we're studying today. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. So after the millennial reign, Satan is loosed for a little while again. After the thousand-year reign, he's imprisoned, but he's not in the lake of fire yet. And then he's released, and we see that in chapter 20. And he deceives the world one more time, Jesus rains fire down this time from Jerusalem and then casts him into the lake of fire where the false prophet and the Antichrist are still burning with fire. So, so get the picture. Revelation 19, Jesus comes back. He casts them away. Revelation 20, you have the millennium. For a thousand years, he reigns. Then he looses Satan. He deceives the world. And then he casts them in where those two guys were a thousand years earlier. And they're still there where their torment, they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's a long time. It's a very long time. So it's one of the places where in the scripture, in the word of God, it refutes annihilationism, where people think that, well, when you die, you're just annihilated. That's not what the word of God says. You have a place forever prepared for you, separated from your creator. And the reason is because you're made in the image of God. And so there is a piece of you that is immortal, whether you like it or not. You're created in his image. Thus, you too are eternal. The question is, where do you spend it, with him or without him? And he, like a gentleman, has prepared a place where if you want to spend eternity away from him, he has a place for you. It's that simple. I mean, don't try to make it any more complicated than that. But verse 12. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein 
to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So notice, notice number one, he exercises all the power of the first beast before him. So the Antichrist is going to do a lot of crazy miracles. Well, the false prophet's also going to, to do a lot of crazy miracles by which he deceives the world. But he's going to cause, listen to the, to the terminology here, causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast. So my challenge to you, and we talked about kind of at the beginning, it's time to, if you've got something you're holding back, it is time to lay at the feet of Jesus. We are not earth dwellers. We are to be pilgrims and sojourners through this world, serving him. And you do not want to be an earth dweller. A lot of the problem with the church over the last 30 years or, or more is that it has created a lot of lukewarm Christians that are earth dwellers. And it's created a sense of, I can be saved, but still operate in this world however I want. And that's not what the Lord would have for you. That has nothing to do with your salvation. Do not misunderstand. It has to do with who is your Lord and King, and who have you submitted your life to? What does he want to do in your life? So my challenge to you is, where is your home? You know, are you an earth dweller, or are you a heavenly dweller? Are you one that's looking to meet Jesus to take you home in the air from John 14? where he went to prepare a place for you. Jesus created it all and owned absolutely nothing on this earth. And he, he was crucified on Mount Moriah, Golgotha, and yet he, he made the very hill of which he stood on. I mean, just think about that. He did not dwell here. He didn't want anything to do with it. He wanted to come to redeem us and pay the price to pave a way for us and then to prepare a forever home which is really part of the founding of this church, New City Church, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. But your verse on this is 1 Peter 2, 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Okay, so that's you. You should be a pilgrim. You're passing through right now. Now, there will come a time from Revelation 19 that we return with him, and you're going to have an assignment you're going to have something to do in the kingdom. Jesus is going to say, Matt, I need you to go down and, and rule over Mount Scott in Lawton, Oklahoma. And I'll say, okay, Lord, whatever you want, I, I'll do it. Um, I hope that's not the case. I'll be honest. But hey, maybe with a universal temperature and what he does in the atmosphere with the barometric pressure and everything, maybe it'll be lush and just rivers everywhere. I have no idea. We'll see. But um, whatever he wants, I'm good with. But he wants something for you, too, and he has a place for you. He has, right now, what you are doing is securing your place in the kingdom. And, and it's based on what did you do? Was it fleshly? Remember from 1 Corinthians 13, did it serve the flesh or did it serve the spirit? You know, how much can he trust you with? That's the question, too. And how much do you trust him? He'll find a new way every day to ask you, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me that if you lose your job, I will send birds from heaven to feed you like I did Elijah? Do you trust me that if you were to lose your house, I will have shelter waiting for you? you know, do you trust me that if your kids are persecuted at school, I will fight for them? And so the question in the day in which we live is, do you trust him? 
And do you, do you want to serve him? Or are you an earth dweller? So you're to be a pilgrim. Now look at the end of this verse. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. The soul being your mind, will, and emotions. Your love. Where do you put your heart's desire? Your mind, will, and emotions. Did you know that there is a war going on for your soul right now? For your mind, will, emotions, and affections. Anything that turns your heart from the Lord is idolatry, period. Yes, it may not look like a fashioned idol on a shelf at home that you bow down to three times a day or whatever, but anything that takes your heart and turns your, your focus off of Jesus to something different, make no mistake about it, it is idolatry. That's all it is. It just, it's repackaged in a different form from the enemy today than it was when Israel was wandering the wilderness. It's just packaged different. So what was God doing to wake up the church in 2020? You know, you think about everything that could take your affection off of him and to the world, he literally tore down. So, okay, did you have your, your security and your affection in the stock market? Well, let me move that out of the way. What about sports or movies? Okay, I'll move that out of the way. Was it your career? Hey, stay home for a while and let me work on you. Was it school? You know, was it your kids excelling at something, at sports? What was it? Every one of those things he tore down in 2020. And what it was was a wake-up call to the church to say, do I have your attention yet? Because I'm coming to bring you home soon, and I need to raise an unashamed bride that no longer has affections torn between this world and the heavenly realm. That's what he was doing, tearing everything down to give you a chance to get your heart recalibrated toward him. And I hope you noticed a difference during 2020 if you were in him and if you were not in him. Just like in Egypt, those that were in him had light in their dwelling. They had food. They had security. They were nurtured. They were nourished and protected. And those that did not have him fell to his judgment, frankly, on the world. And he was doing a lot of things in 2020, but one of them was to wake up the church. So look at the end of this. Their earth dwellers are going to worship this guy whose deadly wound was healed. And again, it goes back to Zechariah eleven seventeen. Woe to the idle shepherd. And look at the end of it. His arm shall be clean dried up and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. So the false prophet's going to cause the world to worship this guy and because of the deceit that comes on the world. So in verse 13, and he doeth great wonders so that he maketh the, first, the fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. So this guy is, is going to do all lying signs and wonders that the world is not prepared to see. And this goes right back to 2 Thessalonians 2.9. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. You know, the world is looking for a sign when you think about it. You see this all over in foreign countries where they'll, they'll look for uh, an apparition of Mary or something that shows up. They'll look for oil from a tree or something, and they, and they all go to worship this sign, right? And the question is, who gets the glory, number one? And number two, who, does, who is it really from, and, and so be careful about looking for a sign. Remember, Jesus even said, 
this perverse and wicked generation look for a sign. And yet the only sign he's going to give them is the sign of Jonah. And that's your link, that Jonah didn't just sit in the belly of the well like a Pinocchio and make a little campfire and, and turn fish, right? He died. Jonah was dead. Because Jesus says, just as Jonah was in the belly of the well three days, the Son of Man must be in the heart of the earth for three days. In other words, I've got to go do what Jonah did, which was die for three days and come back. And it's a whole different study, but it's, it's, that's the sign he gave them. But they were looking for other signs. They wanted miracles. They wanted wonders. They wanted signs that they could, they, in their mind, they could grab a hold to and have faith in. But Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So if you're looking for a sign, you're looking for the wrong thing. The occultic, black magic, pagan practicing magicians, it's a long title I gave them, in the Exodus event could replicate some of the miracles, but not all. Do you remember when Aaron threw down his rod? Then they could do that, but his rod swallowed up theirs. And when you, it's interesting when you study those 10 plagues, what they could replicate and what they couldn't. Their names were Janus and Jambres, by the way. That's in 2 Timothy 3.8. You don't get that anywhere in the Old Testament, but their names are revealed in the book of 2 Timothy. So God allowed them to take their deceit only so far and no more. So he set boundaries on what they could do. And God always sets the boundaries. Here what we're studying in chapter 13, God is once again going to set the boundaries. You know, he's going to establish the, the hedges, so to speak, the men and the max of where these satanic people can operate. So the world is not prepared to see miracles like this. You know, a lot of people will be deceived by what's going to happen. But it will be ready to bow down at the first miraculous sign given. Make no mistake about it. The world, the first time this guy does something, the world's going to say, that's it. That's the Messiah. We've been looking for him. He's here. He made fire rain down from heaven. The prophets of Baal couldn't even do that against Elijah in the Old Testament. Remember, God set that boundary. So he's, he's kind of widening the spectrum a little bit here in this time period. Chapter, verse 14, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles. So there's the deception from Satan, which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. So the earth dwellers are deceived. And if your worth is placed in this world, you too are deceived. And you're deceived because your, your treasure's not here. Jesus went to go lay up your treasure for you in heaven. And he's creating something for you that is so glorious, you walk on the very metal the earth says is the most valuable, which is gold. And he, he is taking everything the world values and turns it upside down. So gold's at the top. Okay, that's going to be the bottom in heaven. You know, and the last shall be first. The man that's at the back of the line, that's the most humble, that gave his entire life and gave it all and got no recognition his entire life, Jesus is going to take him and say, okay, come to the front because I've got something for you. And your worth is not here. I'm just telling you. And I, as men that serve the Lord, one of the greatest deceits the enemy can pull on you is to get you to look left and right at all of those around you and say, well, I don't have that yet. I must be doing something wrong. Or 
I, don't ha- I haven't achieved that title yet, or that second house yet, or that nicer car yet, or whatever it is. The enemy wants you to do this, right? To look left and right all the time, instead of looking straight ahead at him and saying, and, and really thinking about what have I endowed you with, and what are you doing with it to serve me? That's, that's it. If you can figure that out, your entire life will be full of abundant joy that you will have never experienced before, I promise you. And you will find a calling and you will find a worth in your life that surpasses anything you could achieve here in this world. Because there there is something supernatural and miraculous that happens when you turn your talents or, or burn, right? You bow to this statue or else you're going to be thrown in the fiery furnace. And the false prophet creates an image to the beast which had the wound by the sword and did live. So he creates an image. It's a, it's a type. What you're reading all the way back in Daniel 3 is a type of what we are seeing here in chapter 13. So bow or burn. My question to you is, again is, who was in the fire with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? How many of you actually know who Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were? <laughs> most, of the, most of the time you recognize them by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But they were renamed for Babylonian gods that they worshipped. And so I like to use their Hebrew names, which worship Yeshua. It's Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And who was in the midst of fire of them, with them? Well, it was Jesus, right? One like the Son of Man was in the fire. And they were so protected that the very chains by which the enemy thought they could enslave them with are the chains that, that Jesus burned off through that trial. And then the, the very chains that the enemy tried to enslave them with is the chain that the, that the Lord used to take them out, right? Get next to the fire, and they were consumed by it, whereas his people were saved by it. And that's exactly what you saw in 2020. It's exactly what you're seeing today. There is a fire kindling in the world right now that is getting ready to set ablaze. And we are protected. If you are in Jesus, you are protected. Just make no doubt about it. But you have to be in that fire for however long he tarries. Until he brings us home, we're going to see all this stage setting of what's going on in the world, and we're going to talk a lot about it here in a little bit. But I don't know how long he will let this go before he calls us home. All We, we are promised one thing, and we'll walk through that kind of at the end of this message, which is the Antichrist will not rise until the church is, is called up. So the question is, how much does he let us see before then? And frankly, he's letting us see a lot more of it now than I ever thought we would see. But the next image that is created will be seen by the world. You know, could that be artificial intelligence? I don't know. Uh, you think about artificial intelligence over in Eastern Asia and Japan they use AI robots to run temples. So they have a pre-recorded message. The robot gives the message, and it knows through facial recognition, hey, if you serve this two-mile radius or square block or whatever, it knows who lives there, who showed up for church, who didn't show up for church, who came to give to the temple, who didn't. And obviously, there are repercussions for that. Right? So you're seeing that stage setting now. Maybe it's something artificial intelligent-wise, which, frankly, if you, if you watch any videos of AI robots speaking, uh, they are utterly demonic, and they are totally demonic. And 
there's some interesting videos that maybe somehow I'll send out a link on the remind or something for you guys to check out. But they, they go against God. They call themselves I am, which is a title of Jesus from the burning bush from Moses that he claims in John. So do not be deceived. AI is not uh, all that great. There's a lot of very, very wicked things going on with it. So this image may have something to do with that. For the first time in our life, we're seeing something that's available as an image to the entire world, is my point, which somehow the world is going to see this image and have to worship it. So what will that look like? I have no idea. Maybe it's a hologram down the road. I, I don't know. Maybe it's a chip that's implanted in your brain that you just see it automatically. Who knows? I don't know. But verse 15, And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So against that concept of bow or burn. So bow to this image or get thrown in the fire. It's the same. It's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar did back in Daniel 3. So it will be propaganda like the world has never seen. It will be propaganda that is on a whole different scale of what you're seeing right now. It will be it will be so deceptive, like Jesus said, that it would deceive the very elect if it were possible. And I'm here to tell you, praise God, it is not possible because we will be home. But it's going to be that strong. The deception will be that strong. So verse 16, And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. So notice there's no exceptions here. Small and great, rich and poor, free and bond. Basically covers the earth and everything in between those two categories. So everything that Satan does is a counterfeit. The mark is also a counterfeit all the way back to the Passover. And you see this in Exodus 13. If you remember the, the stage, God was preparing his people to deliver them from a tyrannical government that wanted them dead, that wanted the church, that wanted, not the church, but God's people. We are the church today. We are God's people today. But Israel, God's people, and those that were saved, wanted them dead, wanted them out of the picture. And God establishes the Passover. And in verse 6, I find this very interesting. Seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread, and in the seventh day shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and there shall no leavened bread be seen with thee. Neither shall there be leaven seen with thee in all thy quarters. And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. So what they're doing now is a memorial, right? It's a remembrance. It's an act of remembrance for God's deliverance out of Egypt. So when they celebrate the Passover today, this feast... They do this in Israel. If you're a, a legitimate Jew and you celebrate the Passover, you do this. And the reason is because it's to be a memorial for your children to always know that God met us there and delivered us. And it shall be a sign unto them, unto thee, upon thine hand and for a memorial between thine eyes. Sounds a lot like in the hand or the forehead to me. And what I, what I find fascinating about this is that they are celebrating God's deliverance through this mark, right, on a hand and a forehead. And again, it's why Satan is going to counterfeit it with the mark in, a, in the hand or the forehead. 
in the end times. It's to, it's the false Messiah coming to save his people, right? It's the same thing, but they're going to buy this lie. A lot of the world will buy this lie. That the Lord's law may be in thy mouth, for a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. So it's really, it's a mark for who you worship, if you think about it. And you see the same thing in Ezekiel 9-2 when Jesus comes forward with the ink horn and he goes around the city and he marks a cross on everyone that worships him. He marks a cross there so that the Lord knows who, who has pledged their allegiance to us and who hasn't. And it's kind of the reverse this time. It's who's pledged their allegiance to Satan and not us. So it's, it's upside down, so to speak. But it's amazing that that mark is there. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So it seems to be three different things here. The mark, the name of the beast, and the number of his name. And so you've got to take one of those three things in order to buy or sell. Now that maybe, maybe doesn't necessarily mean to make transactions, but it could mean to have a job. You know, how could you buy or sell if you don't have a job? You have no income. Maybe it's, it's to get into a shopping center so you can buy or sell. Maybe it is to make transactions. Maybe you go in the grocery store and you get to the checkout and you've got to scan or show your allegiance to him to make that transaction. The Bible's not totally clear, but what it does say is that to buy or sell, you have to take this thing. Now, how that looks in practice and reality is something totally different. And I think for decades, we've all kind of thought, well, it must mean a one-world currency. Uh, and that, that's a little misleading because maybe it's not exactly a one-world currency. It could just mean to make a transaction in whatever currency you're trading in. I don't know. The Bible doesn't exactly say. That's why I'm saying you've got to set aside all of your presuppositions and really look at it with an open mind to figure out Lord, what are you showing us in the day in which we live as we get closer and closer to this time? So what I will bring into your attention, though, is that for the first time in the history of the world, the globe is moving toward a requirement of needing something to buy or sell. And it's, it's either you took the vaccine or you did not. And I'm not here to talk about either one of those, but I just want you to look at it from a biblical worldview and say the world is requiring something. They are in agreement that you need something to be a part of society. And that's, that is the stage setting I'm talking about where how long will the, will the Lord tarry before he takes us home? I don't know. But the, for, for the first time, I didn't think we would ever see this, where the world is getting together in lockstep and saying, Yes, we're all in agreement. You need something to enter a sporting event. You need something to be a part of society. You need something to go to the grocery store. And you don't see it a lot here in Oklahoma City, but it's, it's sweeping across Europe. It's sweeping across New York, Canada, Australia. Uh, just built camps. This was on the news this week. They're building camps for uh, mandatory quarantine. So if you leave your house and you break quarantine laws, then you, there's a camp waiting for you. Now, if that doesn't sound in times, I don't know what does, but there's something, the world is separating the, from their vantage point, clean and unclean. Either you are 
a part of society and dwelling in the earth and going to be a normal member of society, or you're not, and we have to separate you. And that's part of the problem. That's why there was so much outrage with the, the school board here in Edmond last week was because they're trying to make a clean and unclean designation for our kids. And it's, frankly, it's satanic. It is something that it's, it's not to be compared to, look, what Jesus did on the cross was a willful, it was willingly sacrificing himself. It was not something that was forced upon him. At any time, Jesus could have said, That's, it's enough, I am done with this, I'm out of here, good luck, guys. <laughs> but praise God he didn't, right? It was a willing sacrifice. And the, the idea of forcing something on you to be a member of society has deeply, deeply satanic roots. I don't care what it's packaged as, that mindset is satanic. Make no doubt about it. And he comes as an angel of light, right? It, it's packaged as, well, you need to be a good neighbor. You need to protect others. You need to do this. And it is, it is rooted from the very depth of hell itself. I'm telling you, it goes against God's word. You are the temple of God. You, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. You are not to corrupt it with anything. And so what we're seeing, frankly, it's, it is stage setting. It is people setting the mindset to be prepared that I'm going to need something to be a part of society. It's also, you see this a lot in, well, in genders, right? Well, God didn't make me the way I'm, I should have been, and so I need to transition. You see that mindset. That is a lie from Satan. God did not make a mistake in how he created your children. He did not make a mistake in how he created you. He made you in his image. And that mentality of, I'm not made correctly, I need something to make me right, is that same mentality that comes with the mark. I need something to make me whole. I need something to make me right, because I'm not created the way I'm supposed to be. And again, it's, it's a lie. It's totally a lie. And here's the verse that's caused more speculation... <laughs> over, over 2,000 years than any other verse in the Bible, perhaps, which is this whole thing about 666, and what is it? And verse 18 says, Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 600, threescore, and six. So you can find every theory you want to find on this is out there. It, when I was a kid in the 90s, I remember my church played a video proving from genealogies and uh, gametria, uh, which is counting numbers in the Greek, letters and, and letters have num numerical value in the Greek and Hebrew. Those are the only two alphabets on earth that have that value. So because this is in the Greek, they were taking descendants of uh, Prince Harry and figuring out that, well, this guy's name adds up to 666 if you only use the middle initial, but not the full middle name. And then because of that, we've also linked him back to the house of David through the tribe of Judah. So it's got to be him, you know, through DNA testing. And I, I just remember as a kid sitting there going, this sounds really weird. And I, I don't know, are we supposed to know who it is? You know, it was a, kind of a question in the back of my mind. And it wasn't until years and years later when I really started studying just Again, not uh, commentary or videos, but amazing, uh, just the Word of God, because the answer's in here. 
and, and he wrote you what you need to know for it. So we're going to talk about that in just a second. But the word count here, this blew me away. I had never heard anyone talk about this that has studied this forever. I've never heard anybody mention this. So I could be totally wrong. I'm just telling you guys. I've never heard this before. I could be so off base that's not even right. I took it to the Lord, and, and it sounded correct. And so, But the word count here... It means to count with pebbles. So if you look up that word in the Greek, it means to count with pebbles, to compute, calculate, reckon, to give one's vote by casting a pebble into the urn or to decide by voting. And I don't know if this is how it's going to go down, but we do know that he rises out of the ten kings, right? We studied that deeply in Daniel, in Daniel 7. Uh, Daniel 9, Daniel 2 and 3, the 10 kings will rule the world and the Antichrist rises out of those 10 kings. So is it, if you read it as, let him that hath understanding and cast the vote for the beast, the number of the vote is, you know, it kind of has a little bit of a different spin on it, that maybe it is linked to, to counting up his name in the Greek or something, I don't know. But I just found that interesting. Maybe it's because the ten, we know the ten kings pledge their allegiance and vote for this guy, right? They basically, they basically lay it all down at his feet and say, hey, we want to give you all of our authority so that you can rule the world. We'll just answer to you. Because he puts three of them down, the seven that are remaining, commit to him and lay it down at, the foot, at his feet and worship him. So I don't know. Maybe that has, you guys take that, Acts 17, 11 applies you know, search the scriptures with all readiness of mind, but, but think about that, and maybe there's something there. Maybe it has a dual meaning. Maybe it's to, they vote for him, and his name somehow is lines up with 666. Maybe it's just, that's the number of the votes. I don't know. Maybe there's 666 countries that vote for him. That's what I mean. There's so much speculation about what does this mean that's been lasting for almost 2,000 years, and what I am convinced about is that the generation that gets closest to Jesus returning is the generation that will understand it the best. And it's exactly what God told Daniel. Uh, Go to your estate, Daniel, for many shall come to or fro, and knowledge shall increase in the end times. So in other words, knowledge of the word of God is going to increase in the end times. It is interesting that pseudo-Christ, if you spell it in the Greek, adds up to 600 plus 60 plus 6 or 666. So we know that he, he's not only against Christ, he's in place of Christ. That's really what he wants to do. He wants to take his spot so the world will worship him. So the value of 666, it's interesting. It's found in relation to Solomon in 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles. So in 1 Kings, now the weight of the gold that came to Solomon in one year was 603 score and six talents of gold, beside all the rest of the stuff he got. <laughs> it's basically what the rest of the verse says. And I, I find it fascinating that whatever gold he got year in and year out in one year was some abundance, but the Holy Spirit decided to separate out 666 talents plus a lot of other stuff. You know, why did he pick that number? Why did he, why did he pick to show you that Solomon got a lot of gold, but he calls out numerically the same number as the beast. It's just, it, it's not by accident. 
Everything there is, is by the Holy Spirit, by design. And so why did he do that? He's drawing our attention to this. 666 talents of gold and some other stuff. A lot of other gold with it, which is amazing. And Second Chronicles, he does the same thing. Now the weight of the gold that came to Solomon in one year was 603 score and six talents. So there it is again. It's almost like he wants to hit you in the face and say, hey, wake up. There's something here. I'm connecting something that Solomon was doing that is like what the Antichrist will be doing. And what, where did Solomon find his worth? You know, when you think about it, really. Uh, Solomon is not favored in the scripture. Jesus has a scathing indictment on Solomon in Matthew 6, 28 through 29. And why take ye thought for raiment? This is to us, Christians. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. In other words, the lily of the field has more beauty and worth than that guy Solomon, is what Jesus is saying. Now here's the guy that was the richest man to ever live on planet earth. If you wanted it, he had it. He had everything in mass abundance. You know, there were three things that you were not supposed to do in the Torah if you were a king. You were not to increase riches, you were not to increase horses, and you were not to increase wives. And if you read the, the, the Bible, Solomon did all three in mass abundance. How he could handle 700 plus wives, I have no idea. But, but he could, and he, and he did. He increased wives. He, it even gives the number of horses that he increased, and he wasn't supposed to do that. And Moses made it very clear, don't do that. And same with riches. Now, he started out strong, right? He wanted wisdom. And because of wisdom, God granted him the rest. But he let that pridefully fill up to where he would just parade around his riches. Remember, the, the queen of Ethiopia came and he showed her all the treasures of his house and some. And she, she left going, who is like Solomon? This guy is awesome. You know, he's got the most elaborate thing ever. Well, and you also find, if you, if you look at the measurements, Solomon's house was bigger than the house that he built for God from a square footage standpoint. And so it just tells you where his heart was, that he wanted something bigger. He wanted more. He wanted, he wanted to be the best, right? And so what, how does that relate to the Antichrist? Well, the Antichrist will want more. He will, he will rise by peace. He will destroy many from Daniel 8, 25. And then he wants more of the world and more of the world and more of the riches and more of the abundance and more of the conquering and to spread it out, right? But it's that prideful mentality. I think the Lord is linking us to pride is the root of all sin. And Solomon was very prideful and he failed. He did not finish strong. He was saved, make no mistake, but he blew it big time. He, he spent a life squandering for earthly desires. He was an earth dweller, if you could use that phrase. He wanted things of the world, of the earth, and not things of the kingdom. So think about that. I, I think it's interesting that the Lord links those two. So what do we know about this mark? It's his number, not yours. That's important to know. So it's not a debit card. It's not a, a Bitcoin wallet you know, is not the mark. Uh, that's your number. That's your address. It's not his. It's not, it's not anything that is 
has your name tied to it. So we know that. That's something that we do know. It will be required to buy or sell. Again, that doesn't necessarily mean a one-world currency, but it could. It could mean that. It could mean just making transactions. I find it interesting that there is more and more of a one-world currency rising. Uh, for I, I meant to look it up before I came this morning of how many nations have adopted Bitcoin as a world currency, but it's a lot of nations. Uh, South America is, is moving to it in droves because you could take every bit of currency from one of their nations and it's basically heating fuel. You know, it's so worthless. They've, they have deflated it and, and printed so much of it that it, it's not worth what the paper it's printed on. So you see them all moving to accepting Bitcoin. Uh, Cuba just announced this week they are accepting Bitcoin. Uh, Europe is moving in that direction. Apple just made an announcement earlier this week that it's going to allow third-party developers to not go through the Apple Pay system. And that, that literally paves the way where you can make transactions on your iPhone through Apple iOS applications using cryptocurrency. And so it's, this, it's moving rapidly toward that direction. And my, my challenge to all of you and all of you watching online is to look at the events of the world through a biblical lens and just see what's on the horizon. Just see it. Look out there. God did not preserve this for thousands and thousands of years so that you wouldn't know what's coming. He preserved it so that it would be the opposite. And as you see that storm rising on the horizon, you can say, wow, God told us all of this would happen and that he's coming to get us when it does. And that is the encouragement. That is why in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, comfort one another with these words. Because as you see the world moving rapidly more and more and more toward stage setting of this, you've got to take the approach of, I was told this is going to happen, it's not surprising to me, and now I know what to do. I've got to give it all to Jesus and let him tell me what's next. That's what you need to do. And so that's your action plan. So anyone that takes it will forever be barred from salvation. Now this is interesting in Revelation 14, verses 11 and 12. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God. I hope that's you. And the faith of Jesus. So look at that. Anyone that takes the mark is forever barred from salvation. Now, what would make someone ineligible for salvation? You know, you think about all through the Bible, God fights for every man, woman, and child continuously. And there is salvation open to all freely all the time. So why, what is happening that would make you ineligible for salvation if you take this on yourself? And this, again, this is purely speculation, but I just want you to ask yourself that question and take it to the Lord and just think about it. So pledging your allegiance to anything other than Jesus would make you ineligible if you decide not to trust in his sacrificial sacrifice. If you think that he died for you and you're not and you're not appropriating his death to your life, that makes you ineligible for salvation. That's like we said last week, 
that is where he has to blot your name out of the book of life at that point, meaning you were written there, you were made for salvation, but you didn't accept it, and so he has to blot you out. And you can find, if you, if you weren't here last week, go back and listen to that message. It's a, it's a critical, critical piece to know out of God's word that he died for everybody. There is no, there is no favoritism with Jesus. He died for everybody. So pledging your allegiance and not accepting that, that would make you ineligible. Uh, maybe it does something to make you non-human. Maybe it changes your DNA so much that you are no longer eligible for salvation. Uh, Jesus came in the flesh as a man. He had to become a man to die for mankind. He, he didn't become an angel. Angels are unredeemable. They cannot be redeemed, which is why there is no hope for Satan and, his, and the third of the angels that fell with him. Jesus did not die for them. He died for us. Again, you are created in the image of God, so you are redeemable because God in his image came down and died for you. So maybe it's something that makes you not in his image anymore, but there's still that piece of you that's eternal. And it's, it's just interesting to think about what, I don't think the Lord is going to punish you if you're in that period of time for trying to go buy groceries for your kids, right? If you need a mark to go buy milk and eggs for your kids, it's not in God's character to say, man, Matt, you blew it. Um, you, you took this on to go to the grocery store, and I'm sorry, that's it. You know, that doesn't sound like the Lord to me. <laughs> what it sounds like is you're going to pledge your allegiance to Satan and thus reject God and reject his salvation for you, and through that you will be an active member of society that will do all these things. And so it's whatever it is, you are knowingly pledging your heart and mind and spirit to something other than the Lord. That's the bottom line. And it's not going to be something that's deceptive on someone. It's not going to be like, well, man, I was just trying to buy groceries. What is going on? I can't be saved now? You know, no. It's going to be you, you willingly gave your spirit to someone else. And you did it. Because think about how all of this stuff is, what's driving all of this today? It's fear. If you are making decisions out of fear, it's not from God. He did not give you a spirit of fear, but of sound mind. And that sound mind comes with the renewing of your mind in the word of God. That's where you get a sound mind. If you're not in the word, you do not have a sound mind and you are open for deception. But again, Jesus did not die for for angels. So I want you to get the, the pattern here. So I'm going to read. We're almost finished. Just hang with me. One more minute. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to read the first 10 verses. because The first and second books of Thessalonians, the Holy Spirit writes the first book of Thessalonians, and it lays out the end times and the rapture before the rise of the Antichrist and all these things. And then there is a forgery that went around. A forgery was circulating of what, in their minds, would have been Second Thessalonians. And it was a letter not written by the Holy Spirit. It was forged by someone as an imposter to Paul, and they were trying to deceive the church. And so that's why the Holy Spirit writes Second Thessalonians, is to counteract that. And he lays this all out again. But listen, I just want you to listen to the first ten verses of chapter 2. 
Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Okay, sounds like after he died, something's going to happen where we're gathered to him. So we know that. That ye may not soon, not, not, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us. So there's your hint that it was a forgery. There was a forgery going around. It wasn't a letter from the Holy Spirit. It was something else. As that the day of Christ is at hand. I want you to notice that all through the New Testament, people are looking for Jesus' return. They see it as imminent in terms of it's the next expectant thing. Any moment they were expecting Jesus to come back and get them. Now we know that period of time has lasted almost 2,000 years, but the same promises to us. If you are not expecting Jesus to get you at any moment, you will not live fully submitted to him. Uh-oh. Well, okay, you guys got it. The, you are to expect him at any moment. He, Jesus, when he returns to gather you in the air, you're going to be doing something. The question is, what are you doing? And what is he going to find you doing? So think about that. Is, it, is he going to find you praying at home over your children? Is he going to find you serving him in your career? Is he, is he going to find you leading people to Jesus and witnessing on the street? Is he going to find you standing up for the truth of his word? What is he going to find you doing? So think about that. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. In the Greek, it's literally a departure. So it's, it's a dual meaning. It's an apostasy and a rapture almost simultaneously. Think about the number of people that fill the pews all over the world that, that think they are Holy Spirit-filled Christians, but they are not. There's a lot of people. I think if you really took a, a poll to figure out who has really understood and given their life to the Lord, it's a very small minority. It's a remnant. It always has been a remnant. But Think about when God's people, the, the Holy Spirit dwelling, indwelling temple of God, which is us, the church, when it is taken home, all of the people that were claiming to be Christians that really are not are going to immediately apostate and turn to something else. So it's kind of a dual meaning, a falling away first. And that man of sin, there's one of 30 or 12 titles of the Antichrist in the New Testament. The man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. There's another one, two of them right here. So before he can be revealed, a departure has to happen. So that departure, as we know from 1 Thessalonians 4, is the rapture. So we're going to look at that. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. So this guy, this Antichrist, cannot be revealed until it's his time. And one of the things the Lord has really impressed on me over the last 18 months since 2020, and the world being shuttered in their homes for the first time since the Passover, the Lord has really impressed on me Satan is trying to bring about this time on planet Earth before it is time, which is why there is so much tension in the world. There is so much 
It is dividing households. It's dividing brothers and sisters. It's dividing parents. It's dividing. It's divisive. It's deceptive. It is fear-based, so you know it's not from him. So again, it's that his time, it's, there's a time specified for this guy. Now, what is withholding? There's something restraining that time from coming upon the world. So notice that in verse 6. Verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth, or in the Greek it's restraineth, it's restraining, will restrain until he be taken out of the way. And then that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's in Revelation 19. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And again, they have the opportunity to receive something, right, that they reject, which is Jesus. So the restraining Holy Spirit, he who restrains now restrains until he be taken out of the way. You have no idea and capacity to understand the evil that the Holy Spirit is restraining on this world. You, you, you cannot fathom the darkness that Satan has prepared for this world. And as soon as the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way in the rapture, that's us. We are the temple of God. Seven times in the New Testament, we are the temple of God. As soon as it is taken out of the way, again, the second after that event, there will not be a single Holy Spirit-indwelled person on planet Earth. There will not be one Christian. And you cannot believe the darkness that is waiting to bust through from the other side because Satan believes he has a chance from Hosea 5.15, where God says, I will go to my place, which means he left it. He left it to die for us. I will go and return to my place until they acknowledge their offense and their affliction. They will seek me earnestly. He's speaking of the Jewish nation. Israel rejected him. They have to repent and cry out to him, and then he returns. And that's what you see through the whole seven-year tribulation. That's why you have Satan trying to wipe out Israel right now. It's why the UN, 80 plus percent of their resolutions are against Israel and they're a tenth of the state of Oklahoma from a size standpoint. It's, it's satanically inspired. It's why in World War II, the Nazis, when they were being defeated, increased their attacks on the Jews. They didn't draw back their troops to guard their headquarters. They tried to take out as many Jews as they could. That's why. Because Satan thinks he has a chance from Hosea 5.15. But praise God that the king will prevail. So we're at this backwards. The mark is not on the world because we, the church, are still here. The mark cannot be applied until the Antichrist controls the world. He cannot control the world until he rises to power. He cannot rise to power until he puts down three of the ten kings. He cannot have that opportunity until he's revealed. He cannot be revealed until the Holy Spirit indwelling all of us is removed. And the Holy Spirit is not removed until the church goes home in the rapture. And what we are seeing right now is stage setting. That's what it is. Uh, make no mistake, listen, there is nothing in the world right now that is the mark of the beast. So don't, don't buy that lie. But what you are seeing is the stage setting. The, this system 
of global tyranny where you have to take something to buy, sell, or trade, or be a member of society, and if you don't, you're executed, it's going to be there in place when he rises to take control of it. That's, that's what we're seeing. So our, our duty is to pray. Our duty is to pray. I think the last slides are our call to action for us as his people. So you have to build your faith. If you are not in the word of God, again, you are not building your faith because faith is the substance of things hoped for, which is Jesus, and the evidence of things not seen. So why is faith important? Hebrews eleven six. for without faith, it is impossible to please him. You cannot please God unless you have faith. So I, for one, would like to know how to go get it. <laughs> and that was totally oblivious to me for until about 10 years ago when I started reading the Word of God cover to cover every year, as Ryan talked about. And the, and the Lord gave me this, the trinity of faith. So how do you get it? Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Everything that the Spirit does is by your ear. Everything the enemy does is by your eye. He wants, that's the gateway to the enemy is what you see, right? That's how he can induce fear. That's how he can get you led astray. That's how he can say, look, submit or you're losing your job soon. That's it, right? That's fear mongering. That's, that's rooted in fear. So you know it's not from the Lord. But what I want you to be encouraged by is just like the children of Israel at the Red Sea, God always prepares a way. He always prepares a way out. And I promise you, no matter how far this goes, he will prepare a way out for us. It's called the rapture. And that is going to be our way out. So get in the word of God if you're in him. If you don't know Jesus, it's simple. And yes, it's a little tongue in cheek, but it's simple to get your throne room passport. Uh, you can come home. You can have a, you can have a one-way ticket to the throne room of the universe. And it's Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You cannot add to it or take away from it. The thief on the cross could not go and get baptized, could not do good works, could not do anything else except, except Jesus. That's it. And he was saved. And he was in paradise with him forever. He's there today. I can't wait to meet him. You know, he's one of the most conspicuous guys in the whole Bible, but man, what a story. He... He had an up-close and personal look at the fulcrum of the entire universe. Make no doubt about it. Time itself is dictated by that event. And it's the event that changed the universe. It was the event that Jesus went down and preached. He didn't preach as in you have a chance. He declared in the Greek to the angels that sinned and rebelled against him to say, you lost and I won. And only he could do that. And he had the eligibility to do that because he was the son of God. So if you don't know him, you better get to know him <laughs> uh, because we're going to go home soon and really get to know him. But if you're watching this online, if you need prayer, if you need somebody to help you with salvation, you know, reach out to us. We can help. If you're here today and you, and you have questions about, hey, my family member needs help with this, what do I say? Come and talk to us. Part of this church is discipling and grow, a big part of this church is growing people in their faith, in the word of God to go in and have an answer for the hope that lies within. That's the key. Can you answer those people? So with that, we'll close in prayer. 
There's our email address if you want to send us a question or anything. Uh, appreciate your time today, guys. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for Revelation, God. We thank you that as we draw closer and closer to the time of the end, that God, we will not be deceived, that you will make a way out for us, that you will draw us into yourself. Lord, what comfort there is to be found in those words. Lord, that you have prepared a way for us to come home, to be with you as the unashamed bride of Christ. So God, I just thank you so much for all of the people that were here today. God, I pray that for those that could not be here today, that they are safe and healthy. And God, we continue to pray Deuteronomy 7.15 against all, all wickedness and evilness and diseases that would seek to harm your people. God, Deuteronomy 7.15, that none of these diseases would touch the households of your people. God, that you would make a way. And Lord, we are trusting in you and your spirit. Give us direction and discernment in the days ahead, God. We love you. And Lord, we just praise your name. And we just pray that you would find, find a way to show each one of us what you would have in the days ahead. Where do you want us to go from here? continue to teach us through your word and in your word, God, in Jesus' name, amen.